0: A great philosopher once asked, what's love got to do with it? How do we as individuals from different backgrounds, with different bodies, and different politics navigate the power of love? What does it look like? What does it feel like? Do you love what you feel? And if love is a battlefield, how do we keep up the fight? Does our love truly not cost a thing? In this episode, we'll look at the politics of desire. We'll talk to Shannon and Alexis and get a view inside a queer, black, polyamorous relationship. We'll also speak to Jamal, a documentarian who's pushing back against femphobia and fatphobia with their upcoming work, No Fats, No Femmes. We'll also hear from y'all with your responses to our questions via social media on how to navigate online dating spaces. I want to know what love is, and I want you to join me. Welcome to Pragmatic.
1: I'm really worried that I'm going to sound extra bougie on this fucking podcast. <laughs> First, yes. I'm like, I go to the Korean spot every two weeks. <laughs> I go to a vegan bakery every morning.
2: <laughs> They're so cheap.
1: I swear <laughs> I'm broke, y'all. Like, don't it's get twisted. I am broke. I'm well, sorry, mom, dad. I'm good, though. Don't be like, worried about me. Don't be worried. But, but I'm broke. But I'm broke.
0: Um, I've been transformed. I Yes.
1: <sighs> I'm really excited. I do you need a moment
0: it's i had my moment yesterday (laughs) i know you did (laughs) when i saw lemonade on hbo i felt like the love and the passion that she put into the project like self-titled no not even self-titled four which is the album that came before self-titled was when i feel like beyonce realized that she wasn't just like a pop star that she realized that she was an artist with Platform, and so on. Four, she wasn't really talking about political anything, but she did make the creative decision to do an R and B record with key changes, with throwbacks to like Boys to Men and New Edition, and then with self-titled, she was like, I can create great music, but also create great art. This was that a hundred and I really didn't even want to come in here and talk about Beyonce because I know that everyone's going to be talking about Beyonce everyone's going to be talking about Beyonce on every podcast there's going to be a kajillion think pieces but I found her work last night to be one of the best art film slash music slash I just was so inspired by her vision
1: yes (laughs) yes no i'm not i'm sorry i was i was i was uh signing Mm -hmm. nodding yes to josh first off i want to speak i I mean i appreciate your testimony thank you for your ministry it's real (laughs) i'm here for it um i for one i want to i just want to share that i witnessed josh seeing the 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 gift yeah i don't (laughs) even know what to call it i don't know i don't know what it is either because it was magical um and I, i i tears Josh was crying, y'all. Wait, like, I, 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 and that's a shame. I, I to say The okay, <laughs> um, in the and the end of the fucking.
3: <laughs> Look, it just got. I think real. it was the
1: moment. Was it the? I feel like I. I think your friends thought it was the moment that she showed her belly, but I really think it was the wedding. The wedding footage at the end of the video, w- I turned and I was like, and I'm I feel bad because I'm not physically affectionate, so I was like trying to pat Josh on the did. shoulder. I was like, oh, Josh, and I was like, oh, maybe this is more of a rubbing the shoulder moment, and I started doing that, because and he was just like I bawling. think it was that, it was because it was
0: that, it was also the inclusion of representations of queer love. Yes, there was, yeah, the, it was the fucking great. The frustration from the entire piece up to
1: that point yeah, you also cried during Mike Brown's Exactly, repairs. like yeah. the
0: showing of the mothers of the men that have been slain by the police. Yeah. Um, all of it just, like, kind of, like, built up inside me. And at that moment, I just couldn't, I couldn't do anything yeah. but let out a, a gangsta tear. But I'm, like, glad I, that
1: <laughs> I saw your house because I was moved by your being moved. Yeah. Because I, if I, I feel like if I had seen that by myself, I don't, I mean, I'm sure I would have been, like, ama- I mean, like, blown, blown away.
0: I did wanna say I saw on Twitter um this really dope writer named Daniel Jose Older.
1: I'm so glad you're on Twitter because someone needs to be <laughs> <laughs> Um me and and Will and <laughs> He
0: definitely said something that I thought was really interesting because from first watch and second watch and third watch, there's obviously a lot of speculation about who Beyonce's talking about. Is she talking about Jay-Z? Is she talking about her dad? And he said that it's easy to speculate, but I hate that we don't give musicians the benefit of fictionalizing their lives that we give to other artists. And I think that that's a very important and poignant observation because when someone writes a book, we don't say, oh, wait, who is she talking about in that person's life? Who is he talking about in his life? We don't give musicians the same especially female musicians, the same space to create and, f- and be inspired by their life, but not necessarily be talking about anyone in, in particular. So this week, um, we're going to talk about desire and the politics of desire. Mm-hmm. And I guess I want to start this conversation off by asking y'all a question. Where is the line between preference and prejudice
1: this is like fucking the nature versus nurture of like dating <laughs> basically Damn. solve it oh thanks <laughs> thanks josh um here's the thing like it's okay to have you know you are going to be attracted to different people for different reasons right mm-hmm. pheromones are a thing sometimes you won't even know mm-hmm. it'll just be like just like magic right um but like Lord have mercy, have I had some really unfortunate and racist interactions with people around dating. I don't know if you guys have, but I've had some like horrible racist moments. Yeah, right? Like who hasn't? What am I saying? Um white like, people. But yeah, exactly. That's that's <laughs> basically it. Um, like, you know, like I mean, I've had the usual and uh being that like people being like, You're really pretty for a dark skinned girl sometimes, one time for sure from a dude who was darker than I was um so what the fuck are you talking about um and i'm lit as fuck so fuck you and your shadism and your colorism and your internalized racism like you can go fuck yourself so like i think there is like there's your like natural interests in people and then there's like the internalized there's like the things that you have been programmed into you right? right so there's like of course there's like patriarchy there's um there's, you know, white supremacy and, like, what kind of beauty standards you're interested in. There's, like, a whole bunch of, like, classist ideas of, like, what pe- how people should present and whatever the fuck and what's valuable and what's not.
2: I think what Josh is bringing up in terms of this line that's sort of dividing preference and prejudice is, like, how you begin to make those choices about, right. like, who your demographics but will right, be. But your
1: choices, your choices are influenced by the fact that, like, it is a constant competition, right? Like, people mm-hmm. are in, like, looking at people as being in service to you looking at at people as these consumable like goods you know what i Mm -hmm. mean like it's really this commodity
2: what i'm really saying is that in addition to the fear i think that it's fucked up that we now need to begin to think about who is deserving of it and like who actually will do something useful with it and will do something that will like satisfy whatever needs that we have to like extend that love in the first place and I think that that begins to enter into a lot of questions and decision making about like all right is this person good enough is this person worth it and when that becomes like no longer a conversation about like if this person is worth it but if this race worth it or is this sex worth it or is this kind of body shape worth it when you begin to look at people And you begin to say, like, all right, I'm going to lop off this segment of this group of people and this segment and this segment and say, like, they are not for me, particularly because everything about them. I don't know them. I don't know this person from that person. But because they are in this particular group, they are going to espouse and generate this kind of thing or thinking or lack of wealth or danger or like sexuality that I just don't agree with. So I want no parts of it. So I'm just gonna lop it off. But this is where the foreclosure comes in for me. It says it forecloses the opportunity for them to be something other than.
1: I think that it's already hard enough to date like a dude or like a mask presenting person and like have to work through trying to explain the violence of patriarchy in my body right like you're already doing this right you're already participating in this thing and have this level of privilege and like that shit is hard now you want me to do that and then be working through like someone who may be white and they also like have their own level of privileges and things I have to explain because they haven't lived with this experience like that's really hard especially intimately you know what I mean and when like when like shit pops off like the last thing I wouldn't like, when like when things hit the fan and I have to like, and I'm like traumatized and I'm like going through some shit and I'm really sad, like fucking when like, you know, like I be hearing about like the murders of of black people or whatever happens to be like, I don't wanna have to like, okay, now I'm crying and I'm like traumatized and I'm feeling really fucked up and I have to explain to you why this is a thing and what's happening. And even if you're like the best fucking ally in the world and you've really, really done your work, like there's still like, you don't know what this is, right? like you don't know what this is and like you I already have to deal with that being you know like with masked people or men or whatever now I have to do double the work um and that's something that I don't feel like I want to do in my intimate partnerships and like not to say that like there aren't people who are really lit and have done a lot of really great work on their own but like it odds are not great
2: can I ask like Is it necessary for someone to share your lived experience to be able to, like, either understand it, accept it, participate in a way that is not fucked up or violent and that, like, in a way that doesn't, like, screw up what your lived experience is, that doesn't traumatize you further?
1: I think, like, I think it's important that all of us understand, like, with our different levels of of privilege and oppression, like, even if we're doing the most to be as woke as possible, we are enacting privilege by just by being, being who we are. Like so me being like, you know, like a cis woman like living my life with a certain level of class privilege here in the states, like I am by default mm-hmm. enacting a lot of oppression in in this country but also globally, mm-hmm. right? And so like I think that like even if you're on your best day and you are woke af, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, like you will like you you're still like you being in the world and the way that the system is the way it is, mm-hmm. like you're just I guess I like to
2: I like to believe that it's possible to dismantle that inside of an intimate space like I get that there are these constructions that like say that that enact oppression on people. Mm -hmm. But I feel like once you do the work of like including someone in your life and building an intimate space around them, you can begin to dismantle some of that in order to like facilitate something that is not harmful or painful or traumatic.
0: But I think that part of and correct me if I'm wrong of what you were saying is that that is work. Like that Mm -hmm. is labor. Like that is, exactly. and if you're not in a position in which
1: Mm.
0: you can enact that labor, then you're not in that position and it's not within your realm of possibilities. But I don't think that it's saying that it's not possible. Mm -hmm. It's just, I think we need to acknowledge that people have to work through their own things and the things that they've they've been told since they were kids and all their history in order to get to a place in which that is something that they would even be able to do
2: so I think that that's beautifully put and I think that that allows for this opportunity for us to understand like where preference begins to come in and we begin to be prejudicial about who it is we're going to or how it is we begin to make the decisions about who we're going to do that work with right and I guess I'm just trying to I'm trying to allow for this opportunity for, okay, let's see, once we are in a space where there are where there's community or where there's fam or where there's someone there or people there who get it, who figure it out, or who have made sense or who have demonstrated to you in some explicit way that they are not about the fucked what up politics. What would that look
1: like? What would like getting it look like? Like if you were going to like, mm-hmm. yeah, what would getting it look like if you were with a partner that was, for instance, white?
0: Listening. Listening is a really big part for me. Like, if you're in a relationship and you are in a relationship with someone from a different background than you, whether that's, like, whether that's religion, whether that's race, whether that's a state, like, what you won't do is tell me about what it's like to be me. Like, you're not going to tell me about the black experience. You're going to listen to me when I feel <laughs> like I'm at the point in which I can explain it to you, and you're going to make yourself available to to take in the the to take in the word from the source, mm-hmm. you know what I mean so like listening is and then, I mean that's like what a lot of people say is a really big part in being an ally is your voice isn't the one that's heard, like you are listening to the group that you're being an ally to
1: if you're not actively engaging in resistance work then I don't I don't understand like what you're doing like you're you're chilling and you're here for me but you're like like participating in these systems of oppression and you're kind of like you know what I mean like you're going off and you're living your life the same as you would if you didn't have me as a partner that's not loving me right like if you are coming from a different like area of privilege like if and you're not engaged in that work it's not it's not I, I need you to be more than a like a person that like and that's and honestly, that's for my friends, too. Like those are the people that I'm in community with. Like if you're not like I'm supporting you, like believe you me, if you're my friend and you are coming from a different like area of oppression, like I'm doing I will do the work. I will do the work to understand where the fuck you're coming from, because I think that's what a decent friend is. And I will also do the work of like if shit pops off in your community, I will be there to make sure that like shit's OK. Like I'll be on the front lines because that's the fuck I am. And if I, if I demand that of my friends, I better as fuck demand that from my partner. Like, you're my partner in this life. And especially, like, God forbid we have kids, you know what I mean? Like, okay, so now our kids are here. Are you doing the work to make sure our kids are cool? Or are you chilling and doing you and like praying that it's okay? Like, it's more, it's more than just like being, like, I mean, this is, I guess, the difference between like a partnership and like someone that I'm just like, you just happen to have a relation with, right? Like, if you wanna be my partner in life, like, you better be ready to step up.
2: So listening, work, being activated, being woke as fuck, and some sort of iteration—like these—are like some of the core qualifiers that we're saying needs to be present in someone in order to not enact some sort of perpetuated violence built upon capitalism or whatever the fuck systems exist in the spaces that we live in, right? For and us. O-
1: For us, and I also think no. That like I un-
2: wait, 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 wait. I understand that, and like what I'm also trying to say, or what I'm trying to put in here now, is that like. How then does that become observable without like engaging in conversation? And what I'm saying is like there is this wall, this line, this whatever that we constantly come up against about choosing who we have in our life. I don't think that we allow we like the the like objective we don't allow the opportunity to like enter into a conversation to begin to understand it. I think like people say, like nope, because you have this marker upon you, this marker of being a man, of being a woman, of being queer, of being black, of being disabled, of being whatever the situation might be is, you, I don't wanna have the conversation. I don't wanna figure it out. You just go over there and stay over there and I'm gonna stay over here because I can't deal and I don't want to do the work. I don't wanna give you the opportunity for you to explain to me that this is the work that you could do with me.
1: I think that we have to acknowledge that we live in an incredibly violent world. Right we live in an incredibly violent toxic world right now right that like and for me as like a black woman mm-hmm. like that i have to deal with every day mm-hmm. right. right like that i have violence enacted on my body every day so like do I have the space and time or to bandwidth. sift, or bandwidth to sift through the majority of people who will not do that work with me? Mm-hmm. Like, let's just be, let's be real here. Mm-hmm. Like most people, like the 99% of people who are out there are not going to do this work and I'm not interested in doing this work and also don't, aren't interested in me. Right. Like, let's be real. So like, at the, so at the same time, like, no, nah, I don't, I don't have the capacity. And I think a lot of people like me don't have the capacity. And I think that's okay I think Mm -hmm. we should we should allow that to be unfortunately the case like I think there has to be a lot of work done in the world to make it so that we can just like be kicking it with all of us and Mm -hmm. also to not have like let's not pretend like I mean like we talk about safe spaces or safer spaces right for different identity groups like it sucks there's so many spaces that are like only for queer people all these Mm -hmm. spaces that are only for people of color and like you know like in my intimate relationships that are only for you know certain kind of people that share my 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 background right mm. Mm. My, politic. my politic who the fuck i am and like it's sad that we need that space it's really fucked up that we need that space for our identity group to feel like safer mm. for a moment it's sad that i need to have these kinds of people as my only option for intimate partners but unfortunately that's the world that we live in and i
0: don't think that it's an indictment of you at all like i think it's an indictment of the society that we live in
1: right what scares me is that so often it is like oh my god tell me how many times people like come for black women being like well you only want this kind of man who has a job who acts like this who makes this much money who treats you like this like you should just settle for whoever the fuck like i'm sorry like i think i think it's very and that's not the same case at all well, it's similar. But I think that, like, there is this there is this thing around, like, blaming the person who is making these, who's making these, like, these decisions. boundaries, these decisions and boundaries for themselves rather than being like, oh, right, like, you had to make these boundaries like, because these are the things that your needs are. Why the,
0: are these decisions being made?
1: And why are they necessary to be made?
0: And it's also, like, in comedy, they talk about, like, the act of punching up versus punching down. So, like... It's one thing to, like, have to make these boundaries and these decisions based off of the violence that you face from all of these different markers that you have on your body mm. when you exist in in spaces that are oppressed. But it's another thing to make those decisions, those same decisions, like, the decisions that you've made for your personal life or whatever, to me, would sound completely different coming from someone who occupies a different space. Mm. Like... Th- the reasons as to why you made those decisions don't apply. Like if a white cisgendered male was like making those same decisions like and they um, were to say like, I don't date because there's not that work is, doesn't need to be done. Like, you know what I mean? So that isn't to me is a reason as to why it, it would be an automatic jump to prejudice because, that again, that work doesn't need to be done. So
1: maybe it is a, a question of positionality, Yeah. right? Because I feel like my my things that may be considered preference or prejudice or whatever they happen to be, like, they're really boundaries for safety, right? right? Like, I'm not, like, I need him to be, like, a light-skinned dude who's two and, like, whatever the fuck, though. <laughs> Anyways. Um. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I had the opportunity to talk to Shannon Sherd and Alexis Minna, community organizers and artists about polyamorous relationship models. We tackled sex, commitment, communication, resistance, and so much more. In fact, I'm just going to let them tell you
4: don't don't come into polyamory thinking it's about sex yeah polyamory. A components is about sex, but for the most part, it's about building deeper, lasting, intimate relationships with people with more than one person who you feel love and connection for. Mm -hmm. That's what polyamory is. If you're just out here trying to fuck, you are a hedonist, and that is okay. Live your hedonist lifestyle and be that. That is cool. We out here, we're, we're... I love to get down too I will see you at the sex club homie But don't go around talking about you polyamorous That's not what it is
3: so That's how I walked into our relationship Exactly how he described So I had a lot of learning to do I mean I still do so. We all do Hey everybody, my name is Shannon Sherd. I am a writer, an organizer, and a filmmaker. I'm based in Brooklyn, but originally from Baltimore, Maryland. Woop woop! And um, I'm super happy to be here today with my friend Josh. Hey. And my man.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm the guy. Um, My name is Alexis (laughs) Mena. born and raised in Brooklyn, multidisciplinary artist. Um, I'm a community chef, uh, urban farmer, um, black, queer, and poly.
0: Hey, (laughs) how'd y'all meet? That's
4: an interesting one. Yeah, Um, um, we met in 2013,
3: nope, 2012. We had a mutual friend named Ishmael who is an amazing fashion photographer, everybody should check him out, Ishmael Claxton. (laughs) Um.
4: Who's also a renowned herbalist, um, and he was able to, uh, well, he was my best friend at the time, and I was kind of at his place hanging out. And here comes Shannon, trying to pick up some medicine so that she can uh, get to writing her (laughs) thesis or her schoolwork at the time, papers that she needed to get done. And we clicked. We kind of just hit it off. Uh, that night we ended up hanging out. A, a group of us ended up hanging out all together um, for quite a while. But at the end of the night, Shannon went. One, Shannon stayed with my best friend, and I went another way with another girl. So it wasn't like that kiss, met, love at first sight kind of thing. Yeah. Like a cute meet, right? <laughs> so
3: and then I became friends with the girl he went home with that night. Okay. <laughs> and then we were talking and i was like hey like let's all go out dancing it was like a month later mm-hmm. um and she was like cool and she was like i'm going to bring alexis and i was like oh yeah that that guy i was like oh yeah 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 bring him bring him and so then we all met up at a club and
2: we
4: decided that we were going to work together to conspire to get one of our both of our friends laid so yeah. shannon had brought her roommate i brought um the woman i was seeing at the time And uh, well, she brought me. She She brought, brought yeah. That was her date. Um, (laughs) And then Shannon and I conspired to get her and Shannon's uh, roommate. My
3: roommate, because she had a thing for my roommate, apparently.
4: Her roommate had a thing for her. So we decided we're going to work together, the team, our powers combined um made that happen poly
0: parent trap like yeah yeah yeah.
4: so
3: so we hooked them up that night and that was the first thing we ever organized together we always say that was our first organizing (laughs) together and since
4: then we've been organizing
0: together in a number of
3: in a number of ways
0: (laughs) (laughs) was Polly like the first relationship model that you you tried yeah Yeah. so it just started off that way
4: that That night where we got our friends laid we laid in bed together we stayed up all night talking and we decided well we can have sex and never see each other again or we can stop now and work towards (laughs) building something real Mm -hmm. and because we knew that if we were going to have anonymous one night stand sex it wasn't going to go past that so um and not that it can't it may work for you it just wasn't (laughs) going to work for us because we figured out that we put um we
3: put people in boxes. Used to. Used to put people in boxes. Me. <laughs> <laughs> and working
4: through that has been part of our relationship. Helping each other work through that has been part of our relationship.
3: Definitely in my younger years when I first met Alexis in 2012, I was 3 or 4 months into New York. I had just started my master's program here and I was I was um, you know, I d- I felt I didn't have time for that, you know. I was like, mm-hmm. "Alright, boy, bye. Like, mm-hmm. thanks. <laughs> Peace out." So, I didn't want to treat him like that. The first night we spent together, only talking. Our friends were having sex. We were just like, <laughs> we were just like kind of chilling, um, talking, getting to know each other, and discussing how at the time I was reading the Ethical Slut, mm-hmm. which is like the polyamory Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, so the in, white polyamory Bible. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm using air quotes. You can't see that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I was reading the po- the Ethical Slut. Um to try to, I was I was really getting into this idea of a polyamorous lifestyle, which I felt was really appropriate for me, uh, which, and when it was easy to do when I was single and didn't have any emotional attachment, but when I met Alexis, um, you know, he had had the practice, so he shared with me, um, you know, his past being polyamorous, and honestly, he was like the first person I've ever really talked to in depth about being polyamorous, and I was just coming from a theoretical perspective place you perspective
0: know? but like trying to put that into practice exactly
3: exactly so meeting him was like oh my gosh this is perfect mm-hmm. i can try out this you know and like also build a relationship with someone i feel immediately connected to intensely
0: i can understand the idea of like it's ridiculous to think that you can get everything that you want from one person mm-hmm. so like mm-hmm. like with your friends right like you have your friend that you can go out with you have your friend that you can like, kick it with, but you have to be in a group situation. You have your friend that you go to for like deep advice. You have your friend yeah, that you exactly. go to. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So, but like, to me, that's compartmentalizing, right? So, well,
4: like, I, I, f- I feel like there's one, you have to realize that each one of those are intimate relationships. So, some people who are practicing, who are not outright familiar with the term of polyamory, are already practicing polyamory in some ways because right. they have intimate, sometimes as we call it, friends with benefits and other types of relationships in our lives that we are carrying very intimate, very delicate, sensitive conversations and relationships with these people, but not treating them as a typical, the typical girlfriend, boyfriend, um, heteronormative bullshit. Mm -hmm. But I think that, like, um, what... We've come to understand is that we are all socialized into these um, into the behavior compartmentalizing of the dichotomy of like you're either in a relationship or you're single. Right. Like as if like um, being in multiple relationships is somehow uh, unforgiving or um, mm. sometimes perhaps just staying single and developing A series of friends with benefits is also shunned, right? So if a guy does that he's called a pimp, if a girl does that she's called a hoe. Mm -hmm. So like being able to do away with that by uh, introducing the term polyamory allows nuances in um, Mm -hmm. black relationships for the future. Mm -hmm. So
0: it's like a kind of more like I guess nuanced way of viewing relationships rather than like platonic romantic exactly
4: okay. exactly because in reality um, everything uh, like, like we've discovered yeah. gender um, sexuality and when it comes to polyamory and monogamy it works in a spectrum mm-hmm. same way when it comes to relationships some relationships are platonic some are romantic and some are somewhere in between, in
0: between. even if you don't consider like the the like different relationship models and stuff. Everyone has their own rules for like their mm-hmm. own relationship. Even within monogamous or like monogamish-ish type of relationships, mm-hmm. um, what does that look like within yours, or like how do you come to those terms?
3: Um, that's a great question. Actually, we have a relationship contract where we have like our, written like down. a written contract, which has was witnessed by our friends who. All of our friends love reading it. <laughs> um, but yeah, we have a written contract which basically states how we're going to treat each other, how we're going to respect each other, how we're going to um, show our love or our uh, you know our displeasure with the other, and what rules um, we want for our relationship, um, what boundaries we both are comfortable with. and they're very they're, they're different, you know. I would say on the polyamory scale, I'm probably a lot lower than Alexis when it comes to emotional intimacy. And he really needs emotional... Like, he, he needs more emotional intimacy than me. Where tell, I, them, tell them what the other side of the scale is. Oh, the other side of the scale is, is sex. Hedonism. <laughs> sex, hedonism. Mm-hmm. I'm more on, like, that side of it. Um, Quicker, shorter encounters. My feelings can get hurt, or they did get hurt, you know, when early on in our relationship, when, um, you know, just... Like why are you texting this girl? Why? Are you, what are you telling her? Like you're not telling me, you know. But then I realize like, I can't be everything for him. I'm, I'm honestly like not that. I mean, I'm I'm opening up to other sides of myself now. But but if someone else can meet him in a deeper place spiritually, for instance, or emotionally, then I can It's wrong of me to, uh. to to, to prevent him from from going that deep with someone else. If that's what he wants to do, I want him to be as free as possible. So these are like the type of things that we that are written down in our contract, I guess.
0: That um, sounds just like a super healthy thing for anybody to be
3: in. Yeah, anybody
4: some, to do. Like, some like friends the, need, need friendship know? contracts yeah, <laughs> exactly. because yeah. a lot of us are this involved in abusive. This is what I. This I <laughs> is what I take.
3: want from you. This yeah. is why I can't take.
0: Are there amendments to the contract? Always. Oh, oh yeah. It's, it's, it's,
4: it's, it's a working, it's a working um, document. piece, okay. it, it exists in the cloud, <laughs> it's actually not written down, so it's okay. not uh, concrete. Okay. Um, and the fact that it exists in the cloud, it means that we are constantly um, reviewing it, constantly mm-hmm. bringing up, instead of having arguments, the first thing we do is we sit down, pull up our relationship contract, point to the st- stipulation that we feel like one has violated, and we have a try to have as much of a n- conversation as we can. Um, a lot of the times, both of us either have to take a minute or we have to be like hold, hold on i'm getting really defensive or we call each other out look you're getting really defensive right now let's both walk away right now and just take a minute and come back to this in a few minutes yeah. and we'll go and we'll like take a shower together or like do something intimate so that it can dissolve all that negative energy and then allow us to come back to a place because one another thing that we're both working through is i'm I'm haitian and dominican and so there's a lot of machismo on my family there's a lot of um subserviency and, and that is expected and, and from women or whatever and so a lot of the times like I've always hated that I cannot I can never be with a woman who just does what I would tell her to do like it's number one thing the sexiest thing for me is confidence independence that's always been the sexiest thing from beyond looks and so when I met Shannon she was very independent very outspoken and I, I loved that immediately um, she was actually commanding most of the conversation that night when we uh, my best friend's house mm-hmm. and um it was a fucking turn on and so when i finally got to understanding um, how i have been socialized to believe that an outspoken woman is a threat to my masculinity i had to unpack that and i had to learn that this is part of me growing as a man and me growing in my polyamorous self in uh, my relationship to allow my partner to be as much of herself as she can um, and that, to me, is the sexiest thing. Um, it causes compersion. Compersion is a term that we have trying to get more people familiar with. It's is the opposite of jealousy is um, finding pleasure in seeing your partner find pleasure or, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah. happiness. Yeah.
0: That leads me to ask, like, how do you manage the compersion jealousy like is that something that's always come easy to you or is that something that you have to work on
3: alexis is a pro at managing jealousy his jealousy i will say that
4: i i I don't i think that when she refers to me being a pro is that i and this is with all my emotions i am able to allow myself to feel and to better understand them without immediately reacting oh, so good. i can You're better than me <laughs> 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 it's really all over my face
0: <laughs> like <I have laughs> a fuse of like nothing from my my brain and my heart to you can't my face let i can't it... i i have no poker face yeah i don't
3: either i do not have a poker face either and i do feel jealousy i feel it often but i also have I'm working on like reacting better, you know, um, because I find, I I found myself getting less and less jealous. I know, like this is unbelievable, but <laughs> since we've been together to, to right now, um, I've steadily been I getting agree. less jealous and reacting better, um, and trying to sit down and understand my jealousy, because deep down inside, the thing about jealousy is that it's it, it a teacher it teaches you about the things you feel like are missing inside of you
4: Ashe, and Ashe. it's
3: scary for most people the reason why we go blind i think with jealousy um is because it's scary to look inside yourself and want what someone else has and you don't even want to admit it to yourself it hurts but if you're willing to do the work and sit there and understand it, um You can figure out two things, I think. One, either that you want to make a change in your own life to be better, to be more of something, or either that that's not for you and you're just, like, freaking out. Like, I can't be Beyonce. I mean, I... Nobody can be Beyonce. Nobody can be Beyonce. One of the things I had to think about um, with Alexis was, why do I feel more uncomfortable, or, like, why do I feel more immediate jealousy when he's dating a woman versus a man? Um, You know, I don't feel that threatened by if Alexis dates men, but whenever there's a woman, I always feel like some type of way, you know, Mm -hmm. no matter who she is. Um, And I have to sit and kind of think about it. And a lot of it is because as a woman, I'm taught to see other women, well, not taught, but we're socialized into, like, seeing every woman as competition. If I hadn't already stopped looking at other women as competition before Alexis, I would have been in a worse state because the initial reaction, regardless of how, like, you know, um, communal and loving I can be, is I, I, could, I, I still fall prey to the traps that have been um, embedded in my mind from a young age. Um, so I have to be very, very, very aware of when I'm just coming from a place of hate and jealousy versus when I actually need to do, like, more deeper internal work um, to just come from a place of love always
0: what's interesting is that like when you think of polyamory especially like with how it's depicted in the media like there are it's usually very white White. affluent Mm -hmm. um young type of bodies that occupy those types of relationship models Mm -hmm. and within like depictions of people of color especially women of color especially black women of color (laughs) Mm -hmm. um Scarcity and finding a man is, is like the norm. It yeah. will it's like it's something that is like there are self-help books written about it. There are Steve Harvey comes out with a new movie about it every oh freaking Steve <laughs> couple months. Steve um, <laughs> so the idea of love being zero sum, right, is is really interesting.
3: It is, um, and it's it's something that. Um, i've kind of lived with in the back of my mind my whole life um it's why uh it's something i live with but at the same time i have never felt like i wanted to accept that honestly i never wanted to accept that narrative for myself um so i chose at a very um maybe when i was about 20 i broke up with my high school sweetheart we had been together for three years i was about to go abroad to egypt Um, and I broke up with him, and I decided, because he wanted to marry me immediately after college, and I was like, no. Um, And I decided that I didn't, (laughs) at 20, again, I was young, I decided I didn't really want love, and I just wanted to have, like, a great career. I was in my Sex in the City. I had just started watching Sex in the City, (laughs) okay? (laughs) I was like, I'm just going to, like, be fabulous and travel and have a great career and just, you know, basically be like a samantha type Mm -hmm. who just like you know love him and leave him Mm -hmm. and um i always i told Alexis like um the song fire and desire by rick james and tina marie Mm -hmm. is like i i was rick james though uh, when i (laughs) met him (laughs) and (laughs) And he turned on the fire (laughs) because i like didn't know i could love i like cut myself off from love because i felt like i wasn't ever going to find a partner um, who could actually let me be as free as I want it to be and do the things that I, I you know like and live the type of life I wanted and so I decided to just you know forego love until I met lexis
4: like one of the most the best things about being in a relationship with Shannon is that it's the most challenging thing in my life, <laughs> and because it's the most challenging thing in my life, this is one of the most this is the most growth I've ever experienced in my life and so. If you're living a super comfortable relationship and y'all just living that comfortable life, I'm I feel bad for you. I mean like kudos to you. I hope it's a cute <laughs> Instagram that you got going on. But <laughs> in reality I feel like unless you are going through strife and by strife I don't mean abuse. If you're going through abuse, look for help. That's not what I'm talking about right here. The there can be strife without abuse. There yes. can be growth without the need for abuse. Um people can challenge each other without physically or emotionally hurting <laughs> yes. each other right. we Absolutely. need to find that common ground where we stop speaking from a place of resent and hate and and judgment mm-hmm. and uh, what's my number one complaint about you shame uh, shame, shame. shame. <laughs> we need to stop playing, coming from a place of shame because these are conditions that we learn from our parents how we treat oh, our yeah. partners is how our <laughs> parents treated us mm-hmm. so if you were shamed your entire life if you were taught with a heavy hand. That's how you're gonna treat your partner, but your partner may not be coming from the same place. Your partner right. may be coming from a household where they were talked to, where they were uh, expected to be held accountable for their actions. And if you're not, then there's gonna be a lot of strife there.
0: What tips do you have for people that might be interested in this type of relationship model?
4: Um, <laughs> try to do as much self-exploration and really um, examine all parts of you you know like I uh myself came into this relationship um from previously being in a triad um one of the things that Josh mentioned earlier is like one person cannot satisfy all of the roles in your life right so the um triad relationship I wasn't I was into the beginning helped me realize uh, my queerness helped me realize that I do like men and that I enjoy the company of men and so during that time frame, there was a lot of resist, internal resistance inside of me because of the machismo that was built in, inside of me through, uh, um, you know, social obligation and, and family uh, conditioning um, that I had to unlearn, that I had to unpack and caused people around me a lot of pain um, and myself a lot of pain. But until you go through that pain, um, you can never really come out the other side who you truly are. The second thing is, like, intention, right? So don't ever think that you can help another or guide a person into polyamory, right? I am firm in being queer. I know that I am within—I'm sexually fluid. I am a cis male, but I respect those around me, and I am comfortable with um, exp- exploring and talking about the subjects that are the nuances in black um, sexuality you need to make sure that going into a polyamorous relationship that you are working with someone who's also comfortable with that. Um, I think that all too often we try to get people to convince people to follow us down this road, um, without giving them actual time to do their research, to, to, um, really listen to their heart to see if this is what they want. You can't, train someone to be polyamorous you Mm -hmm. can't convince someone otherwise Mm. every situation every relationship is so different um from the other um in my poly in my poly triad from my previous relationship we all lived together for a short period of time um but in the beginning relationship we i would they were living together they were a couple so this girl picked me up at a club brought me home and then told me oh that's my boyfriend he's gonna watch us and was like I was like oh mm, I don't know about that, mm-hmm. but him and I got cool and then like we we developed a relationship all three of us, um, but we also gave each other the freedom to play outside of the relationship. So again, there was a primary relationship between the two of them. They opened it up to me to be part of their triad, but each one of us were allowed to go outside of the relationship to do our own thing as well. So again, it's very. It depends on the terms and conditions that the people involved. There are closed, absolutely, there are closed triads, there are closed quads, you know what I'm saying? There's like, there are couples in Texas right now who are co-parenting, um, maybe three or four couples are involved, and they're just a closed unit, you know? So it, it looks it looks like what you want us to look like, and understand that just like you can uh, map out your life, you can map out your relationships as long as everyone in the room, or who is going to be on that map, is involved in the creation of it. One of the things that our um, monogamous friends really talk walk away with from uh, Shannon and I's relationship is the fact that we are willing to communicate at a higher degree. Um, we're willing to. F- I feel like
0: you're forced to. You're for- exactly. Have to. You in have order to, to you have in, to. in to order to for it to yeah. function, exactly. you're forced to. Exactly.
4: You know, and other people use breaking up as a threat. Like, you know, eh, I'll break up with you. And, uh, you know, one of the things that's in our contract is not to do that. We don't use those threats. We don't use, like, you can, can be coming from a place of anger and not have to say that you're leaving because that causes trauma.
0: What is one misconception that you feel like people have about uh, polyamorous relationships? That that oh, they're
3: so all polygamous. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Um. Well, a lot of people think because I'm a woman – and Alexis is a very strong like personality that he like somehow talked me into this. And that's something mm-hmm. that I had to like really fight against. Um, you know, and I, that I don't let you to do you. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, I definitely do me. And also I I was into this lifestyle before I met him. Uh, well, in theory again, but mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I'm really about this. Um. But yeah, so I one of the misconceptions is that I'm somehow being manipulated into this. That is a falsehood.
0: Was that a hard conversation to have with your parents or Oh like, god. Actually
4: was, my mom is actually the most understanding person. My mom, in this mom
3: world. tried to uh, anoint my head with oil. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I know. Um she found um actually fun story. My mom found our relationship contract she likes to go snooping through my stuff when i come home it's cool i always expect it but that time i wasn't prepared because i (laughs) didn't have it hidden um so she found our relationship contract and i don't even know how long she had at it but she read the whole thing and she is a my mom is a very sweet quiet um very just open-hearted person so she's she wasn't coming at me crazy she was like She was kind of like shaky and like, Shannon, are you really doing this? Like she was very weepy and it made me weepy too. And I was just like, she was like, you know, you know how I raised you. And like, you know what the Bible says, you give yourself to your husband, just one man. And my mom is coming from a place where she got married at 19. She's been with my dad for 41 years, raised very Catholic and Southern. It's very shocking for her to read the words in our relationship contract which she was not supposed to read at all but again she knows every detail of our relationship now um yeah it's very hard to have those conversations um i think she walked away not feeling that easy um to be honest i know she probably prays about me um about that but she is very accepting so i love her for that
0: Where can we see your work?
4: So Shannon and I, um, <laughs> in the last three years, have created a art collective by the name of Artrepreneurship.
3: Artrepreneurship. thats like art and entrepreneurship.
4: It's where we teach artists how to be entrepreneurs. So we teach—we are this summer putting together a series of workshops, dialogues, and skill shares to bring together the Bed-Stuy, Brownsville, East New York community, as well as Harlem um and bushwick. Uh, and bushwick to basically activate the organizers and the people in these neighborhoods to give skill shares to share their thoughts and abilities and open up um a dialogue um you can find us at entrepreneurship.nyc mm-hmm. that's a r t r e p r e n e u r s h i p It's really long. Sorry about that.
3: So, uh, this year, I'm really happy to announce that I uh, wrote a screenplay based on a short story of mine, and I'm making a short film this summer in August. Yes! The short film is called Bodymore, and it's set in Baltimore City, where I'm from, and it's kind of a play on the city's nickname, um, though it doesn't reference what it usually um, refers to. You can Google that. And the film um, takes place over the course of a weekend in a woman's life, um, where she tries to navigate her sexual freedom, her complicated friendships, and her budding activist career um, in Baltimore City. And it kind of the film is about the the layers and complexity of a black woman's life. Um, just a queer a, polyamorous black woman. A woman's queer life. polyamorous and very. Uh, Uh, openly radical black woman hope you visit our website which is bodymoremovie.com
1: It's getting heated. We are going to continue this conversation on desire with a very special interview oral history thing with Jamal T. Lewis, a cultural worker, emerging multidisciplinary performance artist and documentarian. Jamal's work interrogates and explores identity formation ugliness desirability race class gender and sexuality through a black queer feminist abolitionist lens Um, they're going to talk about the no Fats no femmes project they're working on right now and just have a lot of good stuff coming so i hope you enjoy it thank you again jamal and here is the interview
5: Ever since I was a little girl, you know, trying to find a man to love me, they always told me no fats, no (laughs) (laughs) No, fans So I feel like there has been really interesting responses. On the one hand, people are like, "Wow, like it's it's about time that the gay community talk about this um, issue that has been an issue for a very very long time." Some people are like, "Wow, like it, it feels good." to see, like, that somebody is kind of, like, you know, giving me language to express, like, things that I've been wanting to express for years, things that I've had concerns with, Um, even if it's performative or not. People, you know, are happy that somebody is talking about it. On the other hand, people are just like, so the fuck what? Like, go where you are loved. Like, you know, like, everybody is not going to like fat feminine people and, like, and to that I say, I'm not making the film to say that because I am desired. Like fat trans is able. People are desired. That's that's not the point. Is that the point is that that this exists? <laughs> it's very bigoted, kind of like notion is is the fact that it exists that it, that's the problem. So some people will just say, "Oh, it's my preference," as if our preferences are not informed by something. Mm. I, I have to be honest about you know things that i prefer are informed by the things that i've seen so if i say hmm i only like hot wings or, or only like hot cheetos for breakfast it's because i grew up eating you know i grew up having access to hot cheetos i didn't have you know um i didn't i didn't have all of these uh, i did not have chick-fil-a sandwiches in the mornings you know <laughs> i would buy a bag of hot cheetos from a person on the bus and like that's what I would eat, so that's what I became accustomed to. Or it's it's just like oh my God, like I don't like um, escargot. I don't like caviar because I never tasted it. And so uh, for a very long time, you could say I don't like something because you never tasted it. So it's just like um, I think our preferences are informed by like what we like, like are I think comfortable with, and, and like what we have grown convenient with. So it's just like I can, I can say for a very long time, like oh, um, I don't like like people who are, are like dark skinned and tall because like dark skinned, tall people are just like, you know, um, mean to me or something like that. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, it can just go, it can go either which way, but it's just that the preferences are informed by something. They don't go uninformed. Desire doesn't go uninformed. It would be more honest people just say, listen, I understand how systems of oppression impact people, how in, how, how they impact our desires, but listen, but I also get that this is what I like, you know, like, and, and I get that it, it, it can come off as like, you know, like very prejudiced, which is like, you know, what? It's, 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 it's just what it is. This is how I feel about it. I appreciate those kind of people. Show me your colors. Show me what you're about. So I'm currently working on a feature length doc titled No Fats, No Femmes. And it's a documentary about desire body image and what's being coined as sexual racism um and i came to the work because the work came to me um and that like i'm making work about my personal experiences so it's very autobiographical um the whole film is kind of about desire and gender and sexuality and the ways in that they're all interconnected um and it is talking specifically um, about how I think the world around us and the media that we consume, um, and the ways that we are taught things around gender sexuality, how those things how how those how those things um, deeply impact how we shape and see our own desire. Like people are like, it's about time. People are like, wow, like give me language so I think address things that has been impacting me. And people are just like, okay. It's not a big deal. It's not that big of a deal. Like it's it's literally like what somebody likes. It's their preference. Some people have a type. They have a type, but it's it's not as simple as that. Some people, it, it's I think, I think that kind of stems from our society, like, not or schools, <laughs> education, not preparing students to be critical thinkers. So, I I would say the political climate of the time was different, so people weren't really hearing things like transphobia or fat phobia that they had only had maybe language for homophobia or just like that they didn't have like i guess a a a care for until like the black lives matter movement started happening like and like where people started like really seeing um the need for consciousness raising um often people don't move on things until they deeply impact them so like people will like for very long uh, uh, I, th- I think people will for as long as they can stay away from things because like oh that doesn't impact me but I, I think it wasn't until like I think things started happening on a national level that people started to care about things so that I maybe mean, a lot of people were in movement spaces and movement spaces where like a lot of critical conversations were happening so because of that like it has impacted public discourse in ways that people are now ready to engage with various topics and that's including desire and transphobia fat phobia misogyny as well so um, it feels good to think, see that happening in that way. Um, so, um, for a very long time, I felt like I was only talking to queer, gay, same-gender-loving LGBT people. But um, as I've been... Um, traveling across the country speaking at various universities and community centers, I'm finding out that this work is not only speaking to just LGBT people, it's speaking to straight cis women, it's speaking to straight cis men. I never thought a day in my life that a straight cis man would come up and tell me that like wow, like I, I resonate with this because, like, that takes a certain kind of vulnerability and honesty that I don't often see in men, but he came up and told me he was at the end of my talk in California. This dude stopped me. He was just like, oh, my God. Like, I, I didn't know that this kind of thing existed in, in, in like, queer communities and queer spaces, but, like, I experienced this in dating as well. I experienced when I, you know, go out in the world move out the world as a fat man. Like, of course, I had, like, I'm in community often with black women and they tell me like how my work impact them but like I never knew that it would touch people in the ways that it has so it really what that says to me is that like this is it it, it affirms I think where I am in my critical thought in that like this is not just like a thing that is particular to queer communities and that's why I really wanted to do the project because it's really I think critical for us to understand that desirability politics really um often impact our lives beyond the bedroom. And that for a very long time, I think issues around sexuality, like having relegated to the bedroom only, just like issues, I think talk around sex, right? Oh, you can only talk about sex in the bedroom because like that's where it only happens as if those things are not, you know, like things that impact our day-to-day lives on daily basis impacts how we understand gender. I think I've learned something from like all of the people I may have been like in sexual relationships with that taught me different things about myself or like helped me understand like Things that I've been trying to, or points that i have been trying to make with around desire and sex and gender. I love sex. I like my ass slap. I like bite my neck, <laughs> choke me, with my consent. <laughs> that's why I can talk. That's why I can talk about it. And make work around it. Cause I'm, I feel like I'm always having sex. It's, it's so important to my wellness. I th- I think that everybody wants love, one, no matter. How they show up in the world along a, a gender continuum spectrum or whatever, and I think that everybody like wants to be affirmed from in what pleasures them. To be honest, it's ve- it's really those two simple things like, away from everything else, external pressures that may impact people's lives. People just want to be loved and they want to, they want to give love and be loved, and and that be okay and that like you know that they want to be affirmed or want people to affirm like what pleasures them instead of shaming and judging them for those things. As soon as you have sex with people, like I'm not sure if you have conversations afterwards, but I'm often having conversations with people after we have sex and I just learn things about their life and 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 about their desires and like how they ended up desiring me, I ask questions, I ask those questions.
1: Okay,
5: cool. One, cause I just always find myself like treating sex, people I have sex with as, as research subjects. But pay that, that that's a whole nother story. Uh, <laughs> Oh, I just just can't like turn off sometimes, but I'm I'm just um, I have a very inquisitive mind, so like I ask I ask questions.
1: I mean that to me, kind of... Sex
5: ethn- ethnographies,
1: because I'm mean? I'm just
5: always interested in these things. I'm just always how interested in land. I was interested in like how people land at like you know at a thing that they like, especially being who are interested in like gender deviant people like me. I mean I know I've always had like I guess I I, I can't say that, but I just feel like. So much of, of, I think, my early years of, of, I guess, like, trying to, like, figure things out sexuality-wise, I feel like it was always a gender journey, but I just never, like, understood it in that way until, until, like, very recently, right? And that, like, I wasn't really, like... Honestly, like, before, I think, I I, I decided, you know, that I, I spoke... Those truths, like for myself in two thousand six, I feel like it was it was always a gender thing. Cause like as soon as I was younger, yes, I would like hunt boys and stuff like that, but it was like nothing serious. It was just always like you know I had very, I was just, I was just a faggy little kid, you know, limp act like a girl, they say. Well, it, it, it was it was it was it was a gender journey before it was a sexuality journey. But I feel like I was pushed towards the sexuality journey because of how people understood my gender, what they knew about those things, um, kind of like. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm gonna give it how Janet gives it in her book. Gender is it's, it's who I go to bed as. Sexuality is it's who I go to bed with. I don't trust men. Um, So, you know, I don't trust them to be around me. So, like, uh, I know that they're good for sex. It might be a bad thing, but, you know, you gotta meet people where they are. If we have good sex together, we have good sex, and you leave. Do you you think- need to stay around me. I, I got everything else taken care of. I can take care of sex myself, too, but you know, it's not not stimulating. I need a warm body. I'm not really, I was saying this earlier, I'm just not really, if, 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 like, I'm and moves to the world as, like, a non-normal person, that means that, like, I have to, like, be, be I think, fully co- committed to what that means. It's, like, so if I'm not looking for, like, a relationship in the ways that we've under un, under like grown to understand now I'm not sure if monogamy if is a model that works for me once you figure out what works for you I think you I, I know this works for me smash and go get out I don't feel no ways about it I I came out or rather invited people in or just like spoke my truth for myself 10 years ago actually 2006. Uh, I was in 10th grade. Left home, 2009, graduated high school and I dashed. couldn't stay any longer. The only thing I was most afraid of I used to always want to I used to always want to always wanna run away, but I was I was always afraid that I wouldn't finish high school. so I stayed finished high school then I left. Um, whatever these schools ain't teaching people nothing anyway. Um, and I left home. Kind of like couch surfed with friends for about maybe, which is homelessness, um, couch surfed for about maybe a few months until I started college. Growing up, I feel like growing up and through like much of like like high school and like after high school, I just feel like people or so much of the world, I think like pushes you away from yourself. And I feel like it wasn't until like I, I I realized that like I was all that I I was the only thing that I had like to hold on to in this world like the only thing that I can like like have agency over was myself. So I I I learned then in that in that very like hard moment to one I think invest in myself and and do like some self healing work. So often like talk about like how um how like when i left home is like when i made the decision to live for me mm-hmm. um and to move throughout the world in ways that pleasured me um and when i did that like everything around me changed so like i didn't see things the same way um because like if If you are telling me that, like, I have to hate myself and, like, kill parts of myself, like, just to, like, move throughout this kind of space or move throughout the world in this kind of way and succeed in this kind of way, I'm not going to do it, like, because I've spent enough time alone to know, like, what makes my, like, soul come alive, what makes me, um, I think what, like, really intrigues me and, like, what, like, lights a fire in me and makes me want to, like, move on something and, um, yeah, it was just, it's, it's really, like, spending, spending a lot of time um i think investing in myself and like listening to myself right and learning to trust and and learning learning to trust the knowledge like i think deep mm -hmm. within my bones um and 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 not like like understanding it as dumb like which is what a teacher may have told you in elementary school right like that you're never you know that your thoughts are not worthy um it's just one belief in that like what i have to say is worthy and believing in it and and putting it out in the world, like, whether, like, it's received or not, right? It's put, You put it out there because, like, you believe these words to be true. Um, and also just having, like, a really good support, like, having very supportive friends, mentors, chosen family. Oh. It took for me to go through some shit, right? And, and it's just, like, it's just, like, um, I feel like. One, there, and that's why I always say it, like, in this project, I think there is something to be learned from what we are most afraid of, and I feel like, oftentimes, people are afraid of, like, struggle, or just, like, not, not succeeding, they're afraid of failure. So, because I have experienced failure and struggle in my life many times, I feel like every time taught me something about myself, and um, I'm grateful for that, because, like, it it is, I think it was formative, like, to the person that I am today and the voice that I have, right? It was going through shit. Not that saying that people got to go through shit just to have a voice, but I'm not saying that at all, but like, that's what helped me to, I think, believe in myself and to own a voice. Cause like, you gotta have a voice in this, in this crazy, bad world.
2: Survival tips and tricks how do you navigate the world of online dating what's some advice you'd give your younger self hey
0: this is Nathaniel in Las Vegas so tips for online dating I would say limit it as much as you can um, keep it you know very supplementary it can work online dating's cool, but it can also be a very like harming and triggering place and toxic um, so I know it can be hard I'm as someone with personal experience, but try and prioritize meeting people in person and whatever it takes, whatever circles you gotta be around to meet good people.
1: If I could give my younger self any advice, I would tell her to take more risks when it comes to dating um, and to not be closed off to different types of guys that you haven't considered before.
3: Dating tips, don't fucking download Tinder. Tinder is a motherfucking disaster. And advice to my younger self, Baby girl, live your life, have lots of sex, and explore the world that is waiting for you.
6: One of the things that I think many people of color who inhabit planet Earth pick up is a hypersensitivity to even the smallest of microaggressions that have you know, racial or ethnic undertones. And that's something that I think translates into internet life too, because like those things exist there too. And if I was to give my younger self-advice, I would say, don't ignore that stuff. Pay attention to it. Because oftentimes when there's smoke, there's fire. And then like parlaying into online dating, I just decided that it wasn't for me. I decided not to really partake in that because I couldn't really get a good read on people. And there was too many like 50-50 situations where I just wasn't sure. And I wasn't comfortable moving forward into... A more intimate space with somebody who i just couldn't get a good read on
3: i think that the best survival tip i can give is that you want to make sure that whoever you're meeting up with online that you are telling a friend you have to text one of your girlfriends and say hey girl this is where i'm gonna be this is the address restaurant name time kind of car the guy drives his social his mom's last name his childhood dog you know, all of the really important details to make sure that you don't get kidnapped.
2: Thank you for listening to Prismatic. You can keep today's conversation going online by using the hashtag, it's about to be lit. Prismatic is more than a show. Prismatic is making and transforming space space that we live in, work in, and see ourselves in every day. And for every space that tells you you're not beautiful, that your body doesn't make sense, that this is an exclusive party and you just aren't welcome, well, come here. Come and let us address how none of it matters, because at the end of the day, all we can do is start to try and make the spaces ourselves. That's why we're here. We want to give something back to you all, something useful. Visit prismaticseries.com and view our archive. Tips and tricks, prayers, spells, along with the voices you hear in each episode will live there. Today we heard stories from Alexis and Shannon and Jamal. And throughout the month, you'll be hearing other voices and friends who have so many smart and helpful, but also sometimes lovely things to say about each and every episode topic. Visit our archive at prismaticseries.com. As we move forward with the show, We're going to do our best to let you hear from us each and every week. I don't know how we're going to pull it off, but these two are hopeful, so I'm going to be too. You may have caught our first gem a couple weeks ago with Tasha. Gems are our mini episodes to help tide you over until our next main episode. There are little gems of wisdom or hope or something hopefully sort of kind of relevant. If you want to catch everything we're doing, make sure you rate, comment, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Oh yeah, did you hear? We're on iTunes. But also Stitcher, Podomatic, SoundCloud, Acast, just everywhere. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter too. You can find us by searching for Prismatic Series, and feel free to write us at prismaticseries at gmail.com. That reminds me, we totally want your voices on this show. Each episode, we put out a call on our social media with a prompt for how it is y'all deal. Because, uh, We certainly don't have all the answers. If you're interested in hearing your voice on the show, email a voice memo to us and make sure you tell us which prompt you're responding to and we may just pop it into an episode for you to hear. Again, that's prismaticseries at gmail.com. If you want to know more about who we are and what we're doing, check us out on all the social media stuff. Sege can be found at askedoldbysege on Instagram primarily. Yeah, that's right josh is at regarding josh on twitter and instagram and i'm at will not go quietly just on instagram supreme thanks to ahmed ashore for in-studio audio production and editing he helps this train keep on moving and often stops us from dissolving into tears you can find ahmed on instagram at ashore that's a-h dot s-u-r-e the music you heard today was from Loud. find him on
1: soundcloud